Well, hey there. Welcome to the People Gardener podcast. I'm Rhonda Delaney, your host, also known as the People Gardener. Thrilled to put this podcast together to help small business owners, new business owners, frustrated business owners, and aspiring leaders, whether they're inside business or outside. Each week, we bring you some actionable steps so that you can actually improve your skill as a leader. That's what we're about. We're here to help you become a better leader by giving you access to lots of different perspectives. The guests are varied. We're thrilled to have them. Get out your pen, get out your paper, and be ready to learn. Every single episode, you're going to be able to take something away that you can implement. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Excited to have Jeff Reynolds here today. Welcome. Oh, well, great to be here. Wonderful to be with you. First things first, who are you? What is it that you do? In general, my day job is I run a marketing firm specializing in food and shelter companies, helping them evolve into modern marketers. But my, my newfound or relatively new interest and obsession is organizational design from a leadership perspective. And well, the summer of, we're releasing a book called The Monster That Ate Marketing, where we really capture a lot of those thoughts on what that all means. When I asked you to title your episode, I loved it because it speaks to the thinking or the fear of a lot of people is that entrepreneurs don't have all the answers. Yeah. And oftentimes, and we could put in entrepreneur, we could put in uh, leader, we could put in manager. director, manager, any of those words, descriptors in that spot. So expand on that. What you mean or what you're inferring from that statement. The big idea here is that I think a lot of entrepreneurs or any of those people you mentioned, we think we have to be superheroes and we think we carry all that weight on ourselves to do it all and push the rock up the hill every single day all by ourselves. I'd mentioned that term organizational design and really what I'm advocating for is a more systemic or systematized approach to thinking about designing how you work with your team, your department, whatever whatever sort of sphere of influence you have such that it's not just all on your shoulders, but that there's a machine behind you. And I mean that in the most humanistic way possible, that infrastructure and process and intent, intentionality that you don't feel like you have to do it all yourself and be the center of the universe. There's no question that often happens when people are starting out. They have this misperception that if they don't do it all, People are going to think they're incapable or they're lazy. <laughs> I know. I was, I've been thinking about this today. That word lazy has been in my head today because I'm thinking about it for myself, that I need to be more strategically lazy, like intentionally lazy, meaning stepping back, being okay with not that constant busyness or that feeling, those feelings. And I know it's not really laziness, but that word was floating around in my head today, actually. So give us the definition of organizational design. What does that mean? Yeah. And then 
how do you go about understanding how to implement or to create that structure? Yeah. Great question. I'll talk about it from the leader's perspective. The fundamental question is, what is the leader's job? And a lot of people get really focused, and I actually really appreciate this. And I know you spend a lot of time on the interpersonal connections, empathy, the emotional intelligence, all these things on a very one-on-one -on -one basis. What organizational design tries to do is not, it's not a substitute for any of that, but what it is, is to say, okay, how do we do that at scale? Whatever your scale is, whether that's three, you know, teammates or a hundred, how do you design your organization and think about the craft and the practice of being a leader? So what I mean by that is instead of, you know, just like a yoga practice is a practice, right? You never get to perfection in a yoga practice. It, you're always just making improvement. I want to participate in a leadership practice where I'm getting better as a leader and I'm building my organization as a leader. I'm taking all the various ingredients and my job is to develop the recipe, i.e. the design that works to achieve our organizational goals. And fundamentally, that's what organizational design is. So what I'm hearing is creating a foundational structure that is going to free you up to actually implement at scale. Yes. And that's a good way to think about it. I think it's a little bit different. The reason it's a little bit mushy is it's a little different for every side, every organization. I would say it really like, you're pretty familiar with Simon Sinek's, um, you know, start with why and yeah. golden circle, right? <clears throat> and it, you know, if you really dive into that, we, a lot of people put a lot of energy into the why. And I think that is really important. But the three circles are why, how, what. And organizational design really tries to answer the what and the how. So how do you turn that why into action? So that means getting clarity on your goals, getting clarity on your strategy, defining the capacity that you need to execute on those things. And in, within the capacity, that's where you really get into that framework of the foundational items. And that's everything from processes to recruiting and, and culture. So I, I don't know if I, if that's too mushy. No, nope. uh, nope. yeah, <laughs> Hey, human beings, it's mushy, man. <laughs> <laughs> My message here is that we're so busy with the, the doing, and I would argue leaders get obsessed with the two ends of that spectrum, the what, the tactical, you know, what are we doing today? And they get obsessed with the why, some, some do, not enough probably, but some do. But they leave out that middle part, which is the, the connective tissue to get you from point A to point B. Right, right, yeah. Something that I teach in my program and in my coaching is to simply be interested, to be interested in the, the people that you lead. And as you're talking in my own head, I'm creating a, a freebie for my website, and it's all about the questions that you can actually ask to demonstrate that you're interested in these people. So as a structural, as an organizational, these are things that you as the leader can ask and participate to, to be interested and show curiosity and all the rest of it. But it's also something that you can teach to every single person in the organization to operate the same way. Exactly. And, and by... that's, that's what you're talking about. In order to get what I believe is a fundamental to scale, we have to have a system or a procedure in place 
to help everybody get on board with that. Exactly. Like if you don't have, what I would say to that example, which is a great example, is that has elements of culture. I, you're leading by example and you're saying we're the kind of culture that asks questions and listens and you have to, then you have to figure out, okay, what are the processes to make sure that actually happens instead of it's like a nice thing that we put on the wall, but we, it never happens. So how do you integrate that process into your employee onboarding? How do you think about how you're integrated into your meetings? And those are like the, the day to day, but then even a higher level is answering the, why we're doing it in the first place and how, and are we hiring the right people? And, and having the right attitude to, to teach them to align with us on that journey. Okay. You also mentioned that as an entrepreneur, new business owner, and let's, let's say even a leader inside an organization, because to, to me, um, leading, there's some nuances to those different positions, but at the heart of it, <laughs> it's kind of the same. You talk about a growth mindset and making connections. Can you kind of expand on, on what you're talking about there? Yeah. My focus is really in this idea that the world is changing, right? We have more to-dos, more technology, more metrics, you know, more data, all these, more tools, all these things, but we're still all humans. We're just humans and we haven't changed. So we need to change starting with the mindset, of course, I mean, that's obvious. This is like a, the fundamental, we have to change the mindset to adapt to that reality. Um, instead of simply looking for technology, a lot of marketers, especially that's of course my background is in the marketing space, but is, you know, marketing leaders want to believe a technology can solve every problem, but what it bringing in any new technology is actually a change management challenge. Cause you have changed the habits of the team and that requires the ability to actually adapt and iterate as you go. And I believe fundamentally this, the future is going to go to those who can iterate, right? So who can run a test, whatever that means to you, an experiment, learn, and then adapt and then reapply. That's a lot different than it was, you know, my dad retired from the phone company after 33 years doing the same job for the last 20 years, he basically did the same job. So that's incredible because that, that those days are gone. There are very few jobs that go on for 20 years, right? right. So right. how do you, how do you bring your team and get them thinking in an iterative, in an iterative space, headspace? Uh, and the way you do that, of course, is by building the trust. And that's where this idea of connection comes in and seeing things, seeing both your people and your processes in a holistic manner, see how they actually all fit together. Right. Instead of thinking about it as a, as a sort of a taking a reductionist view. And I would say that's what we, that's one of the things that we're, I think, goofing up on right now in this world of metrics, where we can measure every behavior of every person, every minute of the day, we get, you know, we sort of lose, we're obsessed with the trees and not paying attention to the forest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Humans. Ugh. I, as you're talking, I'm going, my podcast that just uh, came out today, uh, 114, psychological safety. I mean, I just kind of dip my toe in and I don't get into big in it, but it's exactly what you're speaking to is people feeling safe that they can actually speak up, that they can contribute, that they can iterate right. without judgment and without ridicule or condemnation or any of those kinds of things that they can bring it forward. Yes. 
And these are easy things to say as sort of buzzwords, and they're really hard things to implement. My argument is if you do not intentionally implement a culture that supports what you're discussing, and if your leaders are not truly educated in psychological safety and those concepts, then you can met you'll it'll never actually happen. Go to a conference and you talk about it. Oh yeah, we're really big into innovation and iteration and fail fast. And they'll talk about all this stuff, but back at the shop, that's not happening, right? Yeah, and that and that's where it has to happen because the humans that are in the shop have to feel. I'm a I'm a big yes big person on the feeling. How do how does what you say and what you do make people on your team feel? Do they feel heard? Do they, f because you might have the perception that you're listening, but if they don't feel like they've been heard, it doesn't matter if you think you've been listening. <laughs> what matters is that they believe that you've been listening and that they've been heard. So understanding that every single person looks at what you say and how you say it differently, and they actually respond to it differently, you got to find those nuances. You have to make sure that everybody is feeling that. 100%. Well, feelings are reality. And, it, and I think that's another thing until we recognize that instead of pretending that, you know, as a leader, manager, director, whatever, you are, that you're, that you're the arbiter of truth. That is not the case anymore, especially if you want to keep people. And what you just said reminded me of my first day at university. And I went, so I'd gone to a community college for a couple of years, year and a half or something and transferred to university. And I'm sitting in this class. It was actually a public relations class. Dr. Tom Bibbins, I remember it well. And I'm sort of in the front row, ready to get, get engaged in this institution of higher learning, right? And he draws, he asks, what is communication? And he draws on the board two, you know, on the chalkboard, uh, we still use chalkboards back then. And it was uh, two stick figures and one stick figure had an arrow. And he said, it's when one person or when someone sends, and then he, on the other, other stick figure, he drew little hash marks over their head and the other receives. And I thought at the moment, I was like, this is so stupid. I can't believe I came all the way to university. And this is what I'm, where I'm looking at stick figure drawings. But of all the classes I have ever taken that actually, I think of that comment more on a daily basis than any other thing I've ever learned, because I think we're so trained where communication is about us, our, what we're doing and not the receiver. And it is actually happens at the receiver side. That that's what completes the link. So anyway, that's you're, that just, you're, you're, if they don't receive it, you're just talking. Exactly. It's not, you're not communicating. Absolutely. Right. And, and your point was even more detailed, you know, nuance to that, that it's not only if they receive it, it's really how they receive it. That is really equally as important, right? Another thing that you um, had, we're going to go kind of work our way through some of your actionable steps as we're chatting away here, to take courageous action. <laughs> Courage is different for all of us, but what does that mean to, to you? Maybe give an example of yourself taking courageous action and just an overview of what that means. Yeah. At its core, I'll say, I think it's hard to unpair or decouple courageousness from clarity. And what I mean by that is how can you be courageous in your, in the business context? It's very difficult to be courageous on something unless you really know what you really want to do in the first place. And at its heart, I think those are the steps you, you have to go through those 
the hard work and, um, you know, sort of oftentimes deep work for people to, to get clear on what you really want. And then you have to be willing to actually take the steps in despite sort of the fear and the tension and all those things. And so like a great, just simple example, our world is marketing and I'll use our own business as an example. When you choose to niche your company, that's a very scary thing because psychologically, I think it's actually like sort of evolutionary thing that humans, you know, we're thinking we got to eat. I will, I'll eat whatever, you know, I don't, you know, if I have to go hunt it and get that fur off it, if I got to go, you know, uh, go pick or harvest it, I'll do that, whatever. And so we, we sort of want to, we want to be generalists. We want to be able to do everything, but we know that in fact, generally speaking in business, people prefer an expert over a, a, a specialist over a generalist for our company. We did work more generally. So sort of like, Hey, we could help anybody. Right. But that was really because I didn't have the courage to limit. And so over time, I took a baby step. I said, okay, we'll, we'll focus on legacy companies. And these are companies, you know, 30 years old, older. More recently, we said, no, well, who are we doing work for? We're actually doing work for, you know, uh, building materials companies and food manufacturers. Well, maybe we could just focus on those spaces. And we narrowed further to that's we do food and shelter. And the whole point is, that seems, and it's been like the best thing for our actual business, for my core day job business, because people go, oh, you help companies, you know, people like you or people like me do work with people like you, with experts like you. That's been very helpful to our business. So the question is, why didn't I do that from day one? And the answer is that I felt that I was giving up something. And, you know, the human uh, general human need, and maybe it's, I'm even more excessive for sort of that safety for like making sure that I can feed my family and do all those things made everything made niching feel like a, a risk. So that's a very practical business example, but at, at its heart, I had to get clear first that what I wanted was to be viewed as an expert, to know who, what customers I wanted to talk to, to get better, you know, and get deeper with those customers. All three of those things require focus. I knew that from the beginning, I didn't take the step till years later. I appreciate that clarity is a huge thing in my coaching. It's like you got to know where you are, what you think, what you feel in order to determine what your next step might be. And for me, when it comes to leadership is helping people to get to that place. It's all about them, about your people. I don't care what the KPIs and the ROIs and all that, like, all of that stuff will look after itself if your people are in the right spot and they're happily being able to productively do what you've asked them to do and you've given them everything that they need to do that. And so for me, I lived it for 15, 15 years in corporate. It was only the people. I, did, I spent most of my time away from my desk. Mm -hmm. I was a master delegator. There was so much of what I needed to do in my day job that other people on my team were much more capable at doing. They could do it faster, more accurately, and they loved doing it. That was in their wheelhouse. They, they enjoyed that. So I spent most of my time interacting with the humans that I led. And for me, that's the niching down. Yes. That's saying the courageous action was choosing them Yes. And not the KPIs and the ROIs. 
Yes. And I think one of my points would be that even if you chose wrong, even if it's not the ideal, the way you defined it, however you defined it, it was not, was not hundred percent right. It's still better. You'll make more progress and you'll actually be doing what you love, obviously, than if you chose, if you didn't ever choose, if you sort of wobbled. Yeah. Right. And I think that is really hard. The other thing I would say, just say about KPIs and all the metric stuff, I just think that whole world has gone too far. Like, and I was a big advocate in the marketing realm of this 10 years ago. Somehow we've gotten confused and we started thinking that KPIs are the driver instead of the dashboard, you know, the, the speedometer and the, <laughs> those things, right? They're, they're just tools for measuring. The humans are still driving that. Yeah. And so fundamentally your car can go somewhere without a gauge, it can't go anywhere without a drive. Another uh, one of your uh, points for actionable steps is to be systematic. Yeah. And I'll preface this, as a business owner, this is something is definitely inside your wheelhouse and your control, the creation part of it. As an employee inside somewhere that may not have systems, Let's kind of address both of them. How do we get there? What do we look for? Well, my one comment on that first is like, I think we all have to figure out how to be CEOs of our own lives and careers, right? I have a, sli a whole slide deck. You're president CEO of your own desk. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It, exactly. And, and so even, you know, you sort of got to control what you can control. I mean, I know you, yeah. you believe this too. I know that's, you know, a big part of your thing. And, and in the end, it's, it, so even if you don't have, even if we're not talking organizational system, if you don't have the power to design the organization, you definitely have the power to organize uh, your day sometimes, at least parts of your day you have. And I think most people will be shocked at how much power they have to actually design their job if they have the clarity and courage to do it. I'm trying to do with the book and, and, and my trainings and teachings is really around even just the first thing we have to do is make leaders aware that they should be thinking about the con, you know, not just what they're doing, but how they're doing it. And it should be an intentional effort to sort of build a machine, whatever that machine looks like to you. And that's not to take away the human, the humanity of it all. It's actually to support the humanity, right? So what you want to do is you want to build processes. And I'm not, this is hard to talk about in a short time, but because it, it, it's more deep work and individual, but I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, a project comes in and, how does it go through your workflow? I mean, that's part of it, but I'm even, I'm first starting about, should you, do you need to have a workflow, defined workflow at all? And, you know, or can you let people go? What kind of organization are you, know, are we a distributed sort of model or is it sort of hierarchical? And, and then how do you build all the things underneath that to serve that? The real, the first step is that mindset to really understand that our job as leaders is not simply to sort of run the business we're given, but to craft and shape the business, the department, the team, so that the team can do their best work. So you free them to do their best work. So that's the first step, I would just say. And I, th I don't think people are even aware of that. I think most leaders, the way it works, you grow up managing a car dealership and you get a job to manage a vegetable seed company or production of a vegetable seed company, I'm just picking random things. You're going to try to manage that vegetable seed company like that car dealership. Like that's basically a human's tendency mm -hmm. um, to, to bend 
than where they're at now to what they've known in the past. And what I'm saying is the better way to do it is sort of to zero base it, set those goals, define the strategy, figure out the capacity to deliver it, set up the priorities, and then, and then the action plan ultimately to execute, which I know is high level. I, I wish we could go deeper. So your number three is uh, to be flexible. Yeah. So uh, uh, define flexible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, flexible is adaptive. It is being able to take in the inputs and and modify and you know modify your behavior, your team's behavior, your processes to best suit that. So what when you think about what that really requires, A, it requires information sharing. And I say one of the principles of modern marketing is make everyone smarter. You have to have this organization that we're in this together and we're all trying to make each other smarter. So you understand my perspective and this sort of thing. That's step one. You have to, in order to even get to flexibility, you have to understand other people's perspectives that other people's incentives and these sorts of things. Then you still have to have a mindset of sort of the, I can, I can influence, you know, the organization, sort of the ownership mindset so that you, and then you have to have the fear, the courage to take the step and then, and then try to see the reactions or the results of that as open-minded and open-eyed as possible. And until you do all those things, there's many more little details in there. You can never even get to being flexible because if you're just flex, there's a difference between flexibility and sort of, uh, what would be a good word for this? You know, just being a floppy noodle, you know, just, uh, you know, not having opinions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about not, I'm trying to marry these concepts, the courageousness with the flexibility. That means being willing to take a step, having opinions you know, thinking about your craft, but being able to learn throughout that process. I hope, I hope all that makes sense. It does to me because I, I wanted your definition of flexible because so often you can, well, you think of trees, right? The wind, the storm, they bend that yeah. they're flexible. That isn't adaptive. Right. Because they come back to the place that they were when the wind is wind is finished right but over time you look at any trees that are in wind all the time they've adapted to that wind pattern and they're permanently at a 20 degree or a, a 40 45 degree so for me ad adaptive is more more work <laughs> and, and flexible being being okay yeah, with that's right, change Yes. Is big when it comes to, to leadership, especially, especially new ones. We go back to your, your title of entrepreneurs don't have all the answers. Being okay. You thought that this would be uh, an effective process, but now you have more information and you can adapt. That's well, 100%. I liked your early, I liked your earlier word of iterate, right? Yeah. The next iteration. This is 2.0 or 3.0. That's right. There shouldn't be any embarrassment or any fear or anything like that of somebody that is flexible, somebody that is willing to be adaptable. It's okay to change your mind. When you get new information, it's okay to change. Yeah. And I just think we have so much ego tied up in all these different, these 
this processes or whatever in our life, we have so many, so much ego tied up that we don't have good systems in our own lives for how to take that. The principle that I use for that is sort of uh, progress, not perfection. That I'm, that we're measuring ourselves not on some idealized state. In the world of entrepreneurs, you know, somebody starts building a new app, let's just say, and they're measuring their little app to Facebook of 20, you know, in 2022, their little app two months in and they're comparing it to Facebook that's been going for 17 years or whatever. And, and that, that is more destructive than it is helpful. You, it's about playing your own game and finding those little baby steps that you can take to build that momentum and, and knowing that perfection is a, is a, is a made up concept. And so all we're really measuring is progress through this whole process. And for entrepreneurs, well, throw my pin around for entrepreneurs, that's really hard to accept because they're normally pretty high performers in most parts of their life. And they're going to run into all these walls. And especially when you do your first hires and you're learning, oh, how do I engage these employees? How do I motivate these employees? All of those things are all going to be new and you're going to feel totally untethered. So, and then, so you think about that individually, and then you have to figure out how do you bring that through the organization so that you're all operating on that same concept of progress, not perfection. The organizational piece of this is also something that is fluid as you learn. As you yes. test. What I, I think is we, the best thing, it, your course, there's tons of changing. And I think changes. And it, you get closer to where you're heading as you go. But again, I have all these principles that I use to keep this in my mind. And one is that one is just, just head north. It's not, you know, if you're, it's okay if you're a little north, northeast or a little north, northwest, as long as you're making those progress steps towards north, it'll get clear. You know, I live near these little mountains, these foothills are called, and, um, you know, we mountain bike up there and you're mountain biking and you get up, you grind your butt off to get to the top of the hill and you're like, Oh, if I just get to that top of hill, I'm going to be all set. You get to the top of the hill and there's nothing but another hill behind that hill, right? <laughs> it's the most discouraging thing. I mean, it's both, I mean, it's what you do, you know, what you love and what you hate. And that's what life is. It, you know, we can't see all the hills. So the important thing is that we're moving in our, whatever our journey is. And this, these are weird concepts because they transfer to your personal life and your business life, you know, that we're just making that progress and we're just heading north and we're at every step, you'll get closer in the sort of horizon will get clearer the closer you get. Humility. Yeah, well. Just knowing, hey, I don't, I don't know what's going to be next week, next month, next year. Don't know what's going to come up. But having the, the courage and the confidence to know that whatever it is, we'll look at it, we'll get clarity, and then we make a decision. Boy. I hadn't thought about that. Your, your, the way you just put that, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of the tools I teach are really just designed to give people confidence. It's really to say you have it inside you. There is no, people can courses and consultants, and I'm obviously a believer in all those things. They can help it, help you and help you get, oftentimes help you accelerate that process. But at the end, the, it's still going to be you who does it. Right. Um, yeah. I Something that I encouraged all of, well, I encouraged the people that I coach, most, especially the ones that are inside organizations, to keep a running track 
of their wins, a running track of problems they've solved, running track of ideas that they've created for themselves, not that they need to show it to anybody. Because when you're having a tough day, when yeah. you don't know, man, how am I going to deal with this? Go to that list and just look and see how much you have actually done and the changes that you have made. You actually can figure this out. You can do hard things. It's okay. This And then it kind of frees you up from that fear to just be open to do a little bit of brainstorming to figure it out. That's brilliant. I, I have a friend who has a file folder where they keep the positive emails from their clients. So when the clients write, oh, we just love this and this is great. And they keep that so they can look at that just for that reason. And I don't know, I really appreciate that, that idea that, you know, we have more, um, well, we've done more and especially the more of a hot than you, than we think. And we remember, and the more, um, sort of the further along, I think there's probably the irony, especially for people with the, what's oh, I'm losing the word, the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. sort of tendencies. Mm -hmm. The more hard charging you are, the more talented you are, the more hardworking you are, the less you appreciate how much you've actually accomplished mm -hmm. because you're always focused on the future. Yeah. And often entrepreneurs, they were those hard chargers inside companies 100%. that are, uh, it's just second nature to them. And now they're in this business. Well, I don't have anything. I haven't done anything yet. I'm still trying to build it. And I say, no, take. Take some time, take an hour, write down everything that you did at that company that you just left. Right. You, you're, you, have, you didn't change just because right, you're the same person. You can accomplish wonderful things here as well. I love it. I love it. When it all comes down to it, this, a lot of this is just change management, but change management is literally just what life is. Like life, life is change management. Yeah. Just be, <laughs> being, being open and being humble and willing to look at things from multiple perspective. I have long claimed, and I've mentioned this on many podcasts, that collective IQ of your team is far greater than your own. So be open to inviting it, using it, learning from it, and you will get to the best solution at that time. Not a exactly. good one, but the best one, because you've got so much more diversity in thought, experience, culture, education in your team than you have in your, having yourself. I love it. And I mean, the lesson from organizational design is you can do that intentionally and design your organization to accomplish that. So even you don't have to hold all the weight of doing that. Part of it is myself. I felt the pressure of how do I make sure I'm doing, the, you know, all that, getting all that from my team. And the answer for me was to put the processes, system, mindsets, all those things in place so that it happened more naturally instead of me having to do it all by myself. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. It was a ton of fun. Thanks hey, for, folks. thank you for your brain. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Well, now, wasn't that informative? Thanks so much for listening to the People Gardener podcast. Please feel free to follow me on Instagram at the People Gardener and also on LinkedIn. It's Rhonda Delaney on LinkedIn. If you haven't already downloaded my 25 ways to be interested, the core foundational element of leadership, 
go to rondadelaney.com forward slash workbook. It's a workbook and a challenge. Thanks so much again for listening. We'll see you again next week.